0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Mick DSP, Professional Audio Plugins. For over 15 years, Mick DSP has continued producing industry-acclaimed and award-winning software titles. The podcast is also brought to you by Slate Digital, all the pro plugins, one low monthly price, and now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel
1: Wanasek, and A.L. Levy. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast. I'm your host, Joel Wanasek, and with me is Mr. A.L. Levy. How you doing, A.L.?
2: Great, great. How are you doing?
1: I am fantastic, and Joey is on his way on a plane right now to the Grammys, so you can't podcast on a plane, so screw him.
2: Well, he's not actually going to the Grammys. He's doing something with the Grammy committee.
1: It's the same thing. Don't give him any extra credit. He doesn't need it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I don't want anyone to think that this episode is, like from some other time we're recording. Ahead of
1: time? (laughs) like Back to the Future?
2: Something like that. So it's November 2016 for anybody who's curious.
1: We're going to do something fun and special here on Mix Crit Monday that we've never done before. Every month at Nail the Mix, what ends up happening usually is people are like, well, why the hell didn't I get in the top 20? And I'm always sitting there as one of the guys who judges these mixes. And I'm like, well, usually the top 20, it's not very ambiguous. Like the mixes that get into the top 20, yeah, there's going to be a couple that are on the line because anytime you listen to such a large amount of mixes, what happens is, you know, kind of all starts to sound the same. But for the most part, you can click through them and in literally 10 seconds be like, great, garbage, great, great, eh, eh, ooh, that's, really needs a lot of work. You know, you just know right away. Now, a lot of people ask what criteria goes into this. So... What we're looking for, at least what I'm looking for when I'm doing this, and you can say what you are, Al, is I'm looking for something that sounds really pro. Like, I'm holding it up to an A list standard. Like, if I hit play on this, does it sound like a song? Does it blow me away? Is it thick, fat? Does it hit hard? Does it have good clarity in the mix? Does it gel? Is it in the pocket? Is it grooving? Is there anything harsh or nasty that sticks out? How are the balances? Does it feel like a song? You know, like all the hallmarks of just a great, fantastic mix. I want to hit play and be like, oh, yeah, this sounds great. That's what I'm looking for.
2: You know, and I'm going to bring up a story from last night. A really, really big name mixer that you guys have all heard of is in the middle of a mix competition against another really big name mixer you guys have all heard of. Um, And he sent us a track for advice. He sent us both tracks and they both sounded incredible. I personally like the one that our friend did better, but yeah,
1: I think he won. I think he beat the uh, he
2: he the, the big be, the big, big big guy. he he be, beat the incumbent. However, let me the the reason I'm bringing that up is because they could have gone either way with those mixes and been just fine. Like both of those mixes were a level. So at that point, it becomes what do I like better? Like what like what artistically am I more in favor of and so I guess I liked the one that our dude did better because the drums were more powerful and the acoustic guitars were more percussive and it was just more of uh, it just it just hit harder, it had more emotional impact. But the thing is that even if I didn't like the other one as much, it was still an incredible mix. Like and so that's kind of what we mean by pro standard. What we're looking for in the top 20 is that regardless of if we really would pick it as the mix, if we were the artist, it's still got to be good enough to be in the running to be picked in the first place. Now, obviously, when you're picking 20 out of a few hundred, it gets tough, and more than likely, you're not going to have 20 that are good enough to be picked by an artist or a label. It's probably going to be five, maybe.
1: Yeah, it's definitely the case. I always feel like there's like five to 10 really exceptional mixes and then there's kind of everybody else. And the part I struggle with is when I'm trying to sit down and like, okay, you know, what are my 17 through 20 mixes or 15 through 20, you know, what are like those bottom slots? Cause there's a lot of gray area in that case. I kind of just try to pick what irritates me the least because yes. sometimes the mixes that are at that level. Aren't even close to what would the top five would be, or if they're close, there's some major deficiencies. So it can kind of go on interpretation, and I just go off a lot of gut feeling where I'm just like, "Ooh, that one sounds a little bit better than that one," without trying to overthink it. So there's definitely an ambiguous area in there. But guys, listen, don't get discouraged if you don't make the top twenty. It's not like it's the end of the world. It's only the nail the mix mixing competition. We're not, you know, it's not like you're losing a gig for some huge artist and it's going to cost you, you know, twenty thousand dollars in mixing. Fees if you don't get it. So don't be, uh, don't be discouraged or whatever. You know, we're all here to learn and this is how we learn. So I think this is going to be a cool thing because we're actually going to do a mix crit on the mixes for this month's song, which is Face Everything and Rise by Papa Roach. And, um, man, I just got done listening to Kane's reference mix, Kane Churko, who's our guest who uh, produced, mixed, uh, engineered, mastered that whole track. Um, his mix is fantastic. So we we're just comparing here your mixes. We picked a couple off of the uh, forum here. Uh, we have the URM Private uh, Producers Club Octagon or Octagon. I forgot what we call it, where you guys can kind of like post your mixes for crits. So we grabbed a few off of there and we decided to have a little bit of fun with these songs here today to kind of give you guys some insight on what you're doing versus Is what we're looking for.
2: Let me point one other thing out about Kane's mix, which I also think is fantastic. I heard some of the guys be like, "It's not my style of mix. I prefer something more natural or more this or more that." And hey, that's that's your right. But I still haven't heard a mix that even comes close to his. And yeah, he wrecked everybody as expected. Well, yeah, that's kind of the that is to be expected. But I guess. um, One of the things that I'd like people to pay attention to is that when you're mixing for an artist, you're not going by what is in your personal taste quite as much as what you think is right for the song and what the artist thinks is right for the song. It's your job to uh, bring their vision to the forefront. So, for instance, if you read Kane's notes, because Kane wrote a bunch of notes about this, and he said that the band loved the electronic drums. Like, everybody was in love with the electronic drums so much that they had to try to kind of think of how to fit in the natural drums. So the natural drums were almost there to support the electronic drums. And I think that the natural drums play a huge role in the song. But still, if you listen to what Kane said, that uh, and this is coming from working with the artist... Everybody loved the electronics and almost didn't record drums. So when I start hearing mixes that didn't pay attention to that, I start wondering, well, who are you mixing this for? Are you mixing this for yourself? Or are you mixing this for the artist? Because if you read the notes, you would see that the artist was in love with the electronic drums. You know, just little things like that it make me wonder what people are trying to pay, it, what people are prioritizing. I think obviously you need to prioritize making a great sounding mix that makes makes you happy but if you want to be doing this for other people and getting paid for it you need to prioritize making them happy
1: that's very true and i'll just okay cool
2: podcast over just kidding Uh,
1: yeah let me just reiterate what you said earlier um oh my god i totally lost my train of thought on that (laughs) i was gonna say that um you said earlier we were talking about like what is the standard for the genre that you're mixing for? So if you listen to active rock and every mix on the radio has really bombastic smashing drums that have a ton of energy and tons of bottom, super wide guitars and really loud vocals, and you come in with a really natural sounding mix that's kind of muddy and dark, and the vocals are undermixed, and you know, maybe you threw in a lot of effects and stutters and this and that and a bunch of fancy stuff, but you didn't really like hit the standard then that mix would be considered no good because from the point of view of the band, the a you know, the management, the label itself, like, and the radio guys who are really, really the gatekeepers when it comes to this style of music. I mean, literally uh, going to active rock radio, and I used to be managed, I should say, by a radio pro- promoter guy, manager dude, who was really big in that scene. And I learned a lot about radio. And those guys are like the gatekeepers. And if they don't think it sounds good, if they don't think that their audience is going to like it, that band literally with that song, whatever's being pushed has just been tanked before it even gets to come out of the gate. So to even have a chance, there are only so many spots that are open on radio at any given time. And it's a freaking war to get a song onto radio. And for a band to get a spot and maintain and hold the spot, it's got to sound the part. It's got to be competitive with everything else. You have to play it safe to some degree, but at the same time, you know you can push it. You want to make it stand out. So I think that you guys got to take that in consideration. Like, It doesn't matter if you don't like drum samples. The fact is, everybody else you're competing with is using them and if you want your track to be taken seriously amongst those people in professional scope and actually have a fighting chance of getting that song on the radio through the program director, guess what? You got to play by the rules. So if you listen to Kane's mix, it's got tons of bottom. It's got really punchy in-your-face drums that give it a lot of energy. The vocals are insanely well balanced, super clear. The guitar tone is cool, super wide. It just sounds Awesome, it hammers, you know, it makes the song really exciting. You know, you very quickly forget about the mix when you're listening to the song and very quickly just start listening to the song and getting into the energy and the vibe of what Papa Roach is trying to put out. So when we listen to these songs and we crit this, before we even start doing this, I'm gonna say as a precursor, I'm not hearing any of you guys accomplish that in any of the mixes I've heard so far. Now we haven't officially submitted mixes yet. And we're also sitting here just grabbing some, you know, we'll call them work in progress mixes off the forums here. But I will say that a lot of you guys aren't capturing that power. And it's maybe it's you guys don't know how to do it. It's not experience or whatever. But if I don't hear the power, it's going to be hard for me to vote that into the top 20.
2: Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. Guys, If you like us uh, picking Nail the Mix tracks mid month for Mix Crit Monday, let us know. We'll do this more often. We've never done this before. It's a bit of an experiment. Thanks, Joel. I just thought of something. What's that?
1: They're gonna. This is yeah. This is a wild idea. I called Al this morning, and I'm like, hey, you want to try using the Papa Roach mixes? Because I was listening to some yesterday, and I think it'd be fun to do. The problem is, people are gonna be like, oh, those guys got unfair advantages. Blah blah blah. Well, let me before you start complaining. <laughs> let me let me put this out as a disclaimer. Um, I don't think that's the case because just because you're giving somebody critiques doesn't mean they're gonna be able to take what they have and turn it into something that's going to compete with somebody like Kane. So I think that we're going to say whose mixes these are. Yeah, we'll say who did the mixes and what we think they could be improving it. But, um, you know, the the, the mixers actually have to do the work and whether they're capable or not of getting the mix up to that sort of level is yet to be decided. So before you guys start going complaining about unfair advantage and things like that, let's just see how it tops out. Now, if these three guys win the, the, you know, the one and two spot from user selected and, you know, the number one on the secondary poll, then we'll say, okay, maybe that was unfair. But I'm just saying... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> before before it happens.
2: Yes, if they win, then we know that this is giving them an uh, unfair advantage. Um, also, let me point another thing out. We've done this for a year now. We have listened to lots of mixes. And lots of the issues that you find... In one mix, you find in a 100 mixes. So lots of these things are happening over and over and over. So I've already written notes for these songs. I know what I'm going to talk about. But I have, even though we're only talking about three songs, these are things I've heard in lots of mixes. So you guys are making lots of the same kinds of mistakes. So even if it's not your mix, pay attention.
1: Who's up on the chopping block of death first?
2: (laughs) All right. First up, we have... uh, Mr Anthony Di Giacomo here it is So that was Anthony Giacomo's mix of Face Everything and Rise by Papa Roach. And let's get into this. First of all, man, I think that those vocals are painful. Like, there are some spiky frequencies in those upper mids that are just like,
1: ouch. Let's talk about a bigger concept involving vocals too. Aside from the way they're EQ'd, I don't think they fit into the track no. in terms of like they're not gluing with the ambience. Like, what is that effect on the first verse or in the dude?
2: B- no, no, that's the double. It's got to be that the du- I feel I think he's got the doubles equal volume with the mains.
1: Yeah, that's possible. It just sounds like okay, the ambience on the drums this is really important. I once turned in a mix, the very first record I did, I sent it to uh James Murphy. AL, you know James, right. And, um, I I sent it over to James and the first comment, he says, okay, the mix is cool, but your ambiences don't match. I'm like, the hell are you talking about? He's like, listen to the ambience on your vocals and your snare and your kick and your cymbals. It's completely different than your toms. And you know, it just doesn't gel. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it took me a couple of years to actually get how to do that and what it meant. But what I'm hearing is that, You know, the vocal ambience completely sounds like it's out of left field. It sounds like uh, Jacoby's in the bathroom singing the song. And then, like, the ambience of the rest of the track is good. I mean, the precedent for that actually even starts out right in the beginning with that lo-fi. Like, the lo-fi is really harsh and, like, kind of like, I don't know, like, it doesn't fit. The ambience of the vocals just doesn't gel at all in this track.
2: And they stick out, like, I know that they're supposed to be loud, but they have, they're just way too out front. Um, I so I think it's a combination of things. I think it's volume, ambience, and EQ. Maybe you're right that it's an ambience thing making it sound weird in that first verse. I swear that it sounds to me like you've got like he's got doubles at equal volume, and you're hearing the chorus in between them. But I also think the compression is wrong because it sounds way too spitty. Are you hearing how like it's like? Pfft.
1: Yeah, definitely. All the time. Yeah. It's like he's got like five of Joey's gain reduction plugin. I mean, that thing is really damn aggressive. And sometimes you have to really back off because I mean, I know Joey likes a lot of that spitty stuff, but I feel like Anthony overdid it to the point where it's actually distracting and kind of obnoxious. It's like you got a mouthful like, you know, before every word. And it kind of distracts from the diction and like the emotional impact of the part because it's like, all you hear is mouth noise and you're, you're not actually listening to Jacoby, bring it. And if you've ever seen Papa Roach live and I've toured with this band and I've, I've watched him play 10,000 people and shared the stage with them. And I'll tell you, man, Jacoby is one of the most energetic dudes in rock. Like that guy on stage is fire. He is so much, just so much positivity and energy as a person. And like, you know, you have to think about Jacoby and his personality and that's really like what Papa Roach is. Like you can literally Google Papa Roach on YouTube, not Google, <laughs> you can search for it on YouTube and watch him live and man- You can Google it yeah, on YouTube. He <laughs> just, I mean, it's the same thing, right? He, um- he just brings so much energy that's the point and it's compressed to the point where it's taking away the energy and it's bringing out all the negative aspects of his performance that normally would come in and make the vocal really pop and really hit and make it really exciting so you got to back off on the compressors and the doubles and whatever the ambience is like i would reevaluate the entire way the vocals on this are mixed completely eq compression effects like start over
2: let's talk about volume too, because like for instance when you go to the pre-chorus the vocals are buried you got the electro yeah. the electro hats are way louder than the vocals like the vocals are like an afterthought so and then but the thing is that the vocals just are like jumping around in volume and i do believe that different instruments need to be You know, brought out at different points in the song, of course, but uh, this is too much like they're like blasting you in the intro when that should be a little bit more of a build. Listen to the listen to Kane's mix for a good example. Like they're still there. You know that he's singing the chorus at the beginning, but it's not blasting you in the face.
1: Yeah, like in Kane's mix, you can't even hear that it's Kane singing. You know, you just—I always thought it was Jacoby till I opened up the session. But the other thing I'll say, Al, is again, what is the target? This is where a lot of people are screwing up. Is when you look at who the hell are we mixing for? We're mixing for radio rock, and this song was a number one. And what does any rock fan care about? They don't care about the snare. They don't care about the guitar tone. They don't care about the guitar solo. They care about the vocals. It's about. You know the emotion, the energy, the passion, and if you cannot hear every single word in a song that goes to radio like this, it's not going to crack top forty, neither less top ten, neither less be a number one. Like in Kane's mix, you can hear every single word, you can sing every word because you can hear it. And then when they go to the Papa Road show, you know the crowd can bring just as much energy as Jacoby. So, you know, by not having that vocal be completely one hundred percent audible across the entire track, you've—that's the most important thing in this entire type of music like you failed like that's the most important thing to fix you have to have it nailed like if you can't hear your vocal you don't have a mix
2: that's right and then a couple other things were just that I think that the rhythm guitars are way loud in some spots like the chorus and everything and I feel like that's kind of helping take away for the vocals like
1: I, I I thought the top of the bass was weird too
2: yes that too
1: too audible like and not in a good way like it's almost mixed like uh metalcore but the thing is you don't have some dude screaming illegible nonsense you actually have singing so like it's too gritty and it also takes away from the vocals
2: okay that's a really really good point because that thing that we strive for in like extreme metal and metalcore with bass where we have the distorted top end so that it like so that it you can hear it through the through the double bass through the wall of guitars through the screaming and it all that's an important thing in that style it also it helps define the guitar tone some when you get it right in like extreme styles but that style of bass mixing serves to distract when you're working with music that's got this much space so you've got to be careful with that you're you're not the idea here isn't to get the bass to poke through a wall of like insanity. The idea here is to support the song and to, to make it sound huge. And uh, not not ex-
1: yeah. Provide the size.
2: Yeah, not the same methods, not the same goals.
1: Now I'm gonna say one thing that I think that Anthony did do right is compared to the other two mixes that we're about to listen to, I thought he did a good job of actually having like bottom yes. end to the mix. And overall, like I thought his mix sounded the biggest of the the other two that we're gonna create. I agree. And I think he he did a good job of like getting the overall size of it. Like it actually has some impact and it has some size. I do think the snare could have a little bit more. 200 like it was mixing mixing some of the punch but definitely I think he's in the right direction you know he's just got to get some of his balance game completely redo his vocal approach and um, maybe clean the top end of his bass and get some better balance and I think he's going to be you know in a, a much better position with this mix
2: I completely agree there definitely were those positives about this mix And shave some of the high end off your toms, bro. (laughs) Just had to add that in. (laughs) All right, shall we move on? Can you add 40
1: dB of 4K on everything?
2: Great idea. (laughs) All right, who's up next? Luke Phillips. Here you go. Yeah. Upper road submission by our subscriber Luke Phillips what do you think Joel
1: well okay this is an interesting one because it starts off and it's mixed great like I'm like all right this sounds good it hits like he didn't mess anything up and then the mix comes in and it absolutely disintegrates like I don't know it's like you push the small button on it or something like the mix comes down by like 2db it doesn't gel the bottom end is lacking the drums sound like like the snare sounds like it's getting hit by a, like a chain is being dropped on it or something I don't know like it just everything is wrong that like the balance it just sounds weak it doesn't jam jive it doesn't hit it doesn't impact but it's weird because the buildup is so he nailed it like it's so suspenseful and it builds up and i'm just waiting for this huge mix to come in and kick me in the nuts and like i feel like the person kicking just like slipped on the the concrete and fell down on their butt you know what i mean like <laughs> go back to like elementary school Tried
2: to flick a cigarette across the street and it just like right, right back landed in their on their face sh- yeah yeah right <laughs> land, landed on their shoe or something yeah man i mean i've done this to myself a few times back in earlier days mixing where spend all this time on an intro and make it super epic and i get it to a point where there's no way that the band can sound bigger but there's a really really easy solution to that which is turn it down um,
1: yeah, master bus, automation. Yeah, I mean, that typically solves it. Just turn that fucker down. But it doesn't structurally fix the deficiencies in the bottom end, the drums, the guitars, no, the no, etc. No no, so, no, 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 no.
2: That's a different topic altogether. But <laughs> I'm just saying, if your intro sounds 100 times bigger than the band... Start by turning it down.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or turn the band up. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I don't know if he could turn the band up because this was really loud.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why I made that comment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, but now, now on, now onto the mix. All right, where do we begin?
1: Okay, so the true bus is pumping like crazy, man. I can hear that bus compressor swinging around and not in a good way. Like the the volumes going in and out and a lot of things I can hear when something louder comes in and like everything else dips and ducks. And, uh, so we got to look at our bus compression. You know, the, the funny thing is it'll probably come back and say, Oh, I was only hitting it like a half dB of reduction or something really light. In which case, meaning to me, that means the release time or the attack time is way crazy. I don't know, but it, It's definitely off. That can also be a function of EQ and not having your low end and your low mid-range right because compressors react to low end swings more than they do mid-range or high frequencies.
2: Yeah. Man, let me... I want to divert for one second. I know that one thing that we talk about a lot is top-down mixing and Nolly is a big proponent of that and cool. I think it's a great way to go. But... Part of me thinks that people shouldn't dick with the master bus until they know how to EQ. Like I, agree. Um, I I understand that like at this point, like some guys like yourself or whoever will have the Master Bus engaged from the get go. But I mean earlier in formative years, I think it might be a better idea to like get the basics down before you start adding something as powerful as the Master Bus. Just my opinion.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, okay, so how do we crit this? We'll start structurally. I think the first part is the drums have no power. So to me, it sounds like the kick and snare are just like stock samples. And maybe the snare is clipped, but it's literally clipped to the point where it sounds like that bull hitting mashed potatoes thing that I like the analogy I like to like. It it sounds like a. Do you think it's a sample or just a. I thought that was natural. I'm not sure. It might. I'd have to listen to it again. But all I remember is this really whipping. That's why I got the chain. It sounds like somebody's dropping a chain yes, on the it instead of hitting it with a stick. It's like I can hear all this high end rattle, but I can't hear like a crack. You know, like I'm waiting for like, like, like Kane's mix comes in, dude, and it builds up and it's super exciting that it hits and it just kicks you in the balls. It's just like, boom, it's so powerful and it hits so hard. And, you know, I want that to happen because it is active rock and it comes in and it's just, the drums are so soft and they don't have, so like the EQ is off, meaning like we need some sub, we need some attack. You know, if they're clipping, they're probably over clipped, uh, maybe some compression on the snare. Like it's just not impacting. So maybe there's a limiter on them or something, or the master bus limiter is not set in the right type of transient retention mode. I'm not sure, but somewhere those transients aren't getting through the mix and it just doesn't sound powerful. So I'd go back to work and either grab some different samples or grab some EQ and do some radical moves and try to get a punchier sound.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Do you pay attention all to the low end of the kick and the chorus? I thought it was overwhelmingly distracting.
1: Yeah, it's... Okay, I think it's a stock slate sample. At least it sounds like it to me. And the thing is with those slate samples is the whatever, whatever he did when he mixed them, there's about 2 or 3 dB usually of too much 50 hertz in those mix in those kicks. But I don't mean in like a powerful or good way. I mean, like you kind of got to shave it off and then you got to like thrust the kick with like a clipper or a compressor to kind of get it to be punchier. You know what I mean? Like it's too soft. So however he got his low end in, maybe it's a sub kick, maybe it's a sine wave generator, maybe it's some sample blending or something like that. You know, the, the bottom line is that something about it is definitely like not it's it's too much. It's excessive. He's got to tame it, and then he's got to focus on the punch and the attack of the kick. But he's, it's just got a little bit too much rumble. It sounds too soft.
2: Yeah. Okay, let me... I want to bring something up that's a completely different topic on here. And this is something that... I want to take us back to Kyle Black month. So Kyle Black did uh, Secrets by State Champs, and one of the things that people have problems with is how to balance all the different guitar parts because there's, like all kinds of lead guitars and octaves and things like that and one thing he said was not every part needs to be a priority. Some of them are just meant there for texture and the reason I'm bringing that up is because in this chorus there's an octave melody in the Papa Roach chorus and Luke's version here has that that octave melody in the guitar really loud and it's distracting from the vocals and if you listen to Kane's version, it's like not loud at all. It's in it, yeah. It's just size. Yeah. It's exactly. It's size and texture. And you need to l- learn to 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 differentiate between something that's just there to add to the overall, like we said, size, texture, vibe, versus something that's that's supposed to be in the forefront. That's definitely not a forefront line. And so in this chorus, hearing it equal volume with the vocals just about, it's completely taking away from the vocal melody to the point where it's hard to sing along with the vocal melody because it's almost like you're hearing two... Two separate melodies going at the same time, and you don't know which one to follow because they're both really distinct.
1: Okay, let's jump forward here, Al, to guitars and bass because first off, the guitars are way too damn loud. Fuck yeah, they are. I don't feel like the <laughs> I don't feel like the bass is gluing to the mix at all. It's really weird. Like I'm really struggling to hear the bass and how it fits into the mix. I, I know that it's there and it's creating a lot of mud and mush, but it I'm not like it's missing the definition and clarity that. Um, even like the last mix we listened to had. So we definitely need to go in and reevaluate how the bass is being mixed. And I think what probably threw people off this month is Kane has all that sub-octave 808 stuff in there. So they're probably doing the thing where they're like filtering out the sub, putting the 808 in there, then using the real bass for like upper bass to lower mid range. And somewhere in there... I I feel like a lot of people are going to get killed this month because that's a really, really dangerous, difficult, and advanced thing to pull off correctly. And even he, in the uh, Q&A the other day, he was saying, he was just like, well, I don't even remember how I did it, but I remember it being a lot of work or something along the lines of that. and he only
2: used it in, like, key moments. That was the other thing, was that he pretty much said that he wasn't really using it through the entire song. Like, he would use it, like, here and there. As needed.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. I usually try to stay away from that stuff because it's like all of that headroom gets eaten very, very carefully. And while it can be a good way to extend your bottom end, um, relying too much on that as a, you know, as like the foundation of the bottom end, I feel like is, is a very dangerous thing to do. And that's something I always like bite my lip when we talk about that technique on the podcast. Because a lot of times I'll hear mixes and I'll be like, What's up with your bass? And then they'll be like, Oh yeah, I replaced it all with a sub generator and I used real bass. And, you know, and I'm like, well, that's why your bass sounds so disconnected. Like you missed the most important thing is getting the correct crossover and volume crossover, meaning like the balance. So the part glues together and works as a unit and sounds like a bass instrument instead of just like a sine wave generator and a bass guitar, playing alongside each other. You know what I mean? Like it, it has to glue, it has to gel, it has to work together as a unit and push and pull the speaker at the same time. And if you don't accomplish that, you're hurting yourself.
2: Yep. Last thing I want to bring up is in the pre-chorus, the balance of the electronic elements is again weird. And the, notice earlier I said lots of these issues come up, mix after mix after mix so i'm sure that now we've gone through two mixes here where the electronic elements are kind of out of whack i guarantee you that a few hundred of you have your electronic elements out of whack and i guarantee you that when we start listening to the polls we're gonna encounter that so those of you who listen to this podcast double check your electronics what i'm referring to right here in this pre-chorus is so it goes to the pre-chorus which is a I guess a um, less intense dynamic than the verse or the chorus. Um, it builds back up, and uh, it starts with this like these hand clap things, and then eventually the electro hats come in. But those hand claps are way too loud, and then the electro hats are even louder. And rather than helping build, they distract, and they like they kind of make it sound like this weird like techno thing when it's not supposed to be that. They're supposed to be supporting role, helping build us up to this huge epic chorus, but instead it kind of makes it sound kind of funny. So um, be real careful. The that kind of stuff can make or break this style of uh, of mix in my opinion you don't want to take people out of the out of the moment because something that was supposed to be a build-up actually turned into a funny dance part i concur <laughs> okay let's move on to the final mix this is by ricky whiteout
3: I feel it cutting and it's cutting like a knife My pain, my pain is a blessing in disguise I feel it cutting and it's cutting like a knife I will face every. It's coming and it's drowning all the, lies. the rain, the rain is a blessing in disguise The flood's coming and it's drowning all the lies I will face everything and rise Never gonna cry
2: Okay, so that was a submission by Mr. Ricky Whiteout. What do you think, Joel?
1: I've got a couple of notes. Okay, I'm trying to think even where to start. I'm reading my sheet here. I think that just like some of the other mixes, first off, the balance is way off. The guitars are way too loud. Again, the mix has no power when it comes in and it sounds really muddy and is just missing a lot of impact. Um, now, something specifically, well, two things I'm going to start with. First off, the intro vocals are way damn dry. Like they don't gel with the ambience of the track. It's like the, the vocals are so dry, they sound oddly and weirdly out of place. Like they catch your attention in a bad way. But I'm not going to dwell too much on that. The first thing I want to say is I feel like the drums don't sound like a kit. Like the samples are way too disconnected from the rest of the kit. And I feel like, I don't know, it's just really weird. There's like a lot of things that contradict each other in terms of like, it feels disconnected, but it feels super muddy. And um, like the mix has no power, but uh, it, it, there's just a lot of things I think that need, uh, need to be worked on here.
2: I think the guitars are one of the big culprits to why the mix is weird. Cause they, uh, there's a few things going on. First of all, I think there's too much gain and that gain is taking away from the definition. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of those riffs, you want to be able to hear the definition, so you can hear the uh, the pick attack, and, and so that it sounds percussive. But it sounds more like a, like a smooth saw. And it's way loud uh, the whole time, like especially in the intro. um, It's distractingly loud, and then the verses it's distractingly loud, and then the pre-chorus it's even louder, and then the chorus (laughs) it disappears. So that
1: yeah, it's like what is going on? Totally
2: weird. So, I mean, it's I I'm glad that he turned the guitars down. But at the same time, way too much. Like, all the energy dropped off. What you want to do is find more of a middle ground there, where uh, the guitars are a little louder in the chorus and not nearly as loud in the verses and pre-choruses and intro. But I think that the... uh, I definitely hear, like, there's a blanket all over the whole mix and, like, like, this... Low end rumble thing happening.
1: He needs some LDFC on that.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. There just needs some EQ love on this. The uh, the chorus mix, like I w- what
1: happened I there? Sh- like the kick drum comes up three dB, yeah. and like everything else gets muted. Well, okay. <laughs> well, let me
2: let me say something um, positive, which is that we talk a lot about having a different different EQ scheme, different everything for different parts of songs. And if that's what Ricky's trying to do, then I commend you. Like, you should be trying to do that. However, you can't be this extreme about it. It's still, when we talk about having different EQ schemes for different parts of the songs, you really shouldn't be able to notice that the EQ scheme is changing. Unless you you want someone to hear to hear that, like if you have like an automated filter or something, it the idea the reason you do that is because what the way you eq'd the arrangement on one part, like say a blast beat, might sound wrong when it then goes to a sludgy halftime part or whatever um, and you want them to sound consistent with each other so you change the EQ from part to part so that there's a consistency between them the idea isn't to make them sound like two completely different mixes
1: Yeah. I'll use the example we were talking about earlier from yesterday. So the two A-list guys that were mixing off to see who was going to get this artist. One of the things that our guys mix, I thought he did really great is when his chorus came in, there was just something about the way it exploded. It slightly brightened and widened and it just like exploded. And that was something I feel like the other guy quite didn't capture correctly. And Again, it's so important to have that little variance in certain parts, like you know, maybe you make a guitar part a little bit brighter in the chorus or whatever. But you know, it has to be done very tastefully because when you do it right, it's supposed to accent subtle, yes, and emphasize things. It just sounds bigger here, like the vocals are more in your face, and everything comes in and supports it. And you know, the mix comes up by dB, but it doesn't feel unnatural. You know, like those are those are tricks that really excellent mixers use that take a while to master. I mean, it's it, there's no free lunch in this stuff. I don't know what else to say. You got to do the work.
2: Yeah, and so I come like I said, I commend Ricky if that's what he's trying to do, but uh definitely suggest to try to be a little more subtle about it. Again, and it's again, it's kind of like the same thing as uh when I think of reverb on drums. It, even, other than like specific examples where I want to hear a huge reverb. Typically I put reverb on drums to just make the drums themselves sound a little deeper, meaning like there's front to back depth and maybe a little longer, but not so that I can hear the actual reverb. It's meant to give life or room to the drums. I'm enhancing the drum sound. I'm not enhancing the reverb sound. So right here, you're enhancing the song, not trying to enhance your uh, people's perception of your automation skills. Yes. There's a big difference. We put the song first. All right. Here's another thing. A lot of the sound effects, like the explosions and stuff, way too loud and distracting. And people use 808s, explosions, those kinds of things on downbeats all over the place. I even
1: I know why it is. I'll explain after you finish.
2: Yeah. Uh, I was just gonna say that, like the trick there too. Unless it's like a whoa bass drop section. Again, it's not something that you're supposed to really hear as much as you're just supposed to feel the section get bigger right there. It's supposed to add impact.
1: Here's what he did wrong. He came in and because he hasn't nailed the EQ right and structurally the mix is too muddy and not it doesn't have enough separation. Like you didn't get the low end relationship right, the mid range, the top end, et cetera. Like there's a lot of mud. There's a lot of clutter in the mix. So there's not a lot of room for those sounds to come through the mix. So what he's doing is he's compensating up in terms of volume to try to get him to punch through. And by the time he gets to the point where you can hear it, it, it comes out of that zone of fuzziness. He raises up the fader. And then what happens is, It just eats the whole mix and pops out because there's just no room for it in terms of frequencies. The thing is with mixing post and I've mixed so many bands with post and written post etc. You got to use great quality synths and beat programs and things like that. That's super important you have to have great sounds but not only do you have to have great sounds your mix has to be very very nicely EQ'd and structured and interlocking so that there's room for a massive explosion to cut through without you having to do you know 15 dB cuts in it and stuff like that. You shouldn't have to do anything super extreme. So a lot of people, and this is something I see all the time, a lot of people will send me mixes and they'll use really shitty sounds, you know, that should be like in stereo but it's in mono and then they're like well why can't I hear the reverb here and I'm like because you sent me a mono file, idiot and it sounds like it's a lo-fi like I could use my own sample but you're paying me to mix not write posts on your album so what do you want to do you know the thing is it's like when you have really good post-production sounds and if you've done your job right you shouldn't need anything more than a clipper and a limiter to get them to really cut through you should very rarely need EQ on those things now I will say synths and pads usually need a lot of work in the mid-range just because of the nature and there's usually some really nasty resonant frequency in them, but like the more percussive cinematic stuff, like, you know, like Joey would use in a a hallmark of his production style, a lot of the mix is built in a way that it is structurally sound in terms of EQ, so you don't need to do anything else other than balance it. Like I said, maybe clip it a little bit or limit it a little bit, depending on how the mix is gain-structured.
2: Yeah. You know what? This dude needs enhanced. I'm going to give him one free month of enhanced so that he can get his gain-staging together. Ricky... One. one free month of enhanced for you, URM enhanced, so that you can... There's just too many fundamental problems here. Sorry, I didn't ask you guys about this. I'm just doing it. Take, dock my pay. I don't care. <laughs> Ricky, you're getting one free month of URM enhanced. and uh, You need to watch those fast tracks and uh, watch the one about gain staging. Learn that shit let it be your bible eq and compression one really learn ldfc you need this dude like iv that shit what else can i say like i this just needs to go just needs to go back to basics with this stuff
1: yeah, once he gets more clarity, just like the post production, I feel like it's gonna solve my comment where I said that the mix didn't have enough power because the drum samples aren't being there's no space there for them to hit and to punch. You know, he hasn't carved out the necessary areas in the frequency. Everything is kind of just overlapping in the same frequency range. So once he gets to that point, he'll be able to diagnose whether his drum samples are punchy and clear enough. And are going to cut through or, you know, so either he's going to have to use new samples or he's going to have to go back to work and reshape them. But, you know, the way it's mixed now with the guitar and the bass, it's hindering the power of, you know, the kick and the snare, which drive it. And again, go back to Kane's mix. When you listen to Kane's mix, the first thing you hear is that big ass punchy drum sound. Thick bass and guitar mix, and it just—it's so punchy and clear, and it hits you really hard. And it conveys a lot of energy and power. And we're absolutely doing the opposite of that here on this mix. We're coming in, and it's like there's just no power and punch because we haven't we haven't like parted the seas so we can walk through them. You know, we got it. We got to structurally fix the EQ of pretty much everything.
2: That's right, Ricky. Hit me up, Al at URM dot That's E Y A L at URM.academy, and I will get you sorted. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. I hope that uh, you enjoyed this episode of Mix Crit Monday. And we want to know if you want us to do this more often, meaning if you want us to crit your submissions for the Nail the Mix monthly mix competition. We'll do it. We have plenty of mixes to crit, so let us know. You know, if if enough of you say yes, then we'll definitely do this. Maybe every other episode or something.
1: And I'll just say that we do these crits, guys, and they're, they may sound really brutal. And I know when you're in the uh, Iron Throne, they're taking the heat, and everybody's trying to uh, cut your head off and destroy your mix. Um, it's it, it takes a uh, you know it takes a pair to really like withstand that. So. Um, You got to keep an open mind when you're listening to this stuff. This is really good for you. I feel like a lot of the best mentors and just people in my life that really made a difference and helped me end up in the place that I've been, have been the hardest, most ruthless, brutal people to me that have been like, this is absolutely unacceptable. This is garbage. Now, what are you going to do to get better? Don't get mad. Just show me. So I think that it's important to have that mentality, you know, when you're submitting for mixed critting and if you're afraid of getting ripped up and torn apart, it's like we're doing this out of love because we want you guys to be great at this stuff and get way better. And the only way that you're going to get better is when somebody sits down and says, everything is wrong here. Here's why, here's what you need to do and you can sit back, reevaluate your workflow, make the necessary changes, and put in the time and the effort and train. And then you know, with some work, you'll get there to where you need to be and you'll look back and be like, damn, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. So guys hopefully this stuff is helping you if you're ever mixed critted and you feel like you've been unnecessarily savaged please know we're doing this with the best of intentions and uh you know a lot of you guys that have been great sports about it we've seen you guys improve and it's really exciting to watch so hell yeah
2: hell yeah have a good one guys
1: the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by
0: Mick DSP, Professional Audio Plugins. For over 15 years, Mick DSP has continued producing industry acclaimed and award winning software titles. Visit MCDSP.com for more information. The podcast is also brought to you by Slate Digital. All the pro plugins, one low monthly price. Visit SlateDigital.com for more information. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy slash podcast and subscribe today.